Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Well, this morning I want to ask, have you ever been through an earthquake? Uh, I think the closest thing that I've ever experienced in an earthquake was uh, in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. I remember just a little slight, uh, brief tremor that took place. Uh, I know the Lindley family was out in Los Angeles uh, a while back, and some of you guys, I think, at least felt it. And I remember Micah saw a little of the merchandise on the store shelf shaking a little bit, perhaps. Uh, so some of you may have been through that experience. I read about a, an earthquake that occurred in a small village, and uh, a, uh, a young, uh, rather older woman that lived there uh, uh, was not alarmed. Most of the members of that community were quite alarmed. It was a frightening experience for them. But, uh, but one of the older ladies there, who was a believer, was unmoved. And so people were surprised. And so they said, weren't you even afraid? And she said, actually, no. She said, she said I'm, I just rejoice that I have a God who can shake the world. We may not go through a literal shaking in that sense of the word, like an earthquake, but the truth is, is that uh, that we live in an increasingly shaky time, do we not? And it seems like all around us that the, 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 the things are shaking, uh, whether it's in government or politics or the world front, and, and again, in our own personal lives, we go through some shaking in our lives. And the, 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 the believers here, the, those professing believers here in, uh, in this church uh, that were receiving uh, the, the letter to the, the, the Hebrews here, they were going through a tremendous time of shaking in this process of persecution. And from history, we know that the shaking continued and even increased among them through persecution upon believers and upon the church. And it was so great, as we have said to you, that many of them were, uh, or at least some of them, were being tempted to leave Christ and to return to Judaism. Well, this passage that Edwin has read today is the fifth and final warning in the, the book of Hebrews. And we will continue into chapter 13 next week. Uh, but this is a warning that's being given. And it's similar to the second warning that we saw in chapter 3, uh, verse 7. And using the nation of Israel, again, many of quotations, the most quotations from the Old Testament in the New Testament book are in the book of Hebrews. And, uh, and again, many uh, places that the Old Testament is cited. And this situation is, is going back to the, the mountains of, uh, of uh, two mountains that were seen, and particularly the mountain of Sinai, and to Israel's poor example of disobedience in the journey to the promised land. And, uh, and again, their refusal to hear God's warning at Sinai. Hunter preached a great message last week from Hebrews uh, chapter 12. And in that passage, in this previous passage, we saw those two mountains contrasted. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. I, we've always sung about marching to Zion, one of those songs I grew up learning. And we see that word Zion a lot. But it really helped me in my understanding of, again, this contrast between Sinai and Zion. And, of course, that Sinai being the mountain where the law was given, and we saw in that passage, going back to the book of Exodus, where they could not or should not come near the mountain in peril of their lives, uh, and even that an animal would touch it would be put to death, uh, because this was the holy mountain, the place where God gave the law. So again, it was very important that they honored that. 
Uh, and then we also saw that other mountain, uh, Mount, Mount, the mountain we call Zion, Mount Zion. It's where God is now in heaven. And we saw the who is there, uh, including, of course, not only angels, not only, of course, God, the Lord Jesus, uh, there seated upon the throne, but also the saints of God who have gone before and believers in, in Christ who are there. And, and so, again, uh, this is a place, a place the, the, mount, the mountain of Zion, where, where we are, through Christ, able to draw near to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's been largely the message as well, uh, one of the major themes in the book of Hebrews. So I want us to look at this passage today, and as we think about being citizens of God's unshakable kingdom. Notice uh, three responses as citizens of God's unshakable kingdom. First of all, as, as citizens of God's unshakable kingdom, we must listen to God's warning and not and do not refuse His voice. That's what that's the message of verse 25. He begins with a command there in verse 25. See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. Literally, this is continually see to it. Uh, again, uh, the idea is to keep an, uh, an ever watchful eye open that they might not refuse him who is speaking. Well, the Bible tells us who is speaking. Even back in verse 24, he told us uh, who is speaking. He said there unto Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The Lord Jesus is speaking. God is speaking to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he opened up Hebrews chapter 1 in the very beginning, talking about God speaking. He says there in Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things whom he also created the world. So God is speaking. And the idea is he is continuously speaking. He's speaking to us through Jesus, through his blood, which is, and Jesus, of course, being the mediator of his new covenant. Another important emphasis and theme given to us uh, in the book of Hebrews. So he, he's warning us here. He's warning those who profess uh, faith to listen to God's warning and not to refuse him. You say, how can you refuse God? Well, again, the book of Hebrews gives us some important understanding of that. He tells us back in that chapter 2, verse 3, we can refuse Him by neglecting His great salvation. Again, these are people who've at least professed faith in Jesus, but were in danger of neglecting, ignoring, treating lightly, His salvation. Also, in Hebrews 3, it can be, he can be refused by hardening the heart. People can harden their hearts against God, like, again, the children of Israel did in the wilderness. That's a very dangerous thing to do. Also, again, in this passage, by, uh, by him ignoring or refusing God's voice as he spoke inside at Sinai. The people of God, as you remember uh, in that story, and it's recorded back in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Hunter made reference to this last week, where again they said uh, uh, when God spoke, uh, it was uh, there was thunder. There, uh, they they heard the voice of God. They uh, they the, the, the place the mountain shook with His powerful presence. And basically, they said to Moses, "Hey, we don't want God to speak to us anymore. Uh, we're going to die. That we you know who could hear from God like this and not die?" So they said, "Moses, 
We want you just to hear from God, and then you bring the message to us. We don't want to hear from God. And so at first that may have seemed okay, but what happened in time was not only did they not hear God, but even when Moses came to them with the message from God, they refused it. They rejected the message that God had for them. And that's what you see really throughout the, the history of God's people is again their rejection and their refusal of what God had to say. And that resulted in many of them ultimately dying in the wilderness. So again, he's warning them about the danger of refusing God's voice. Well, again, here in this verse, he's arguing, as he's done before in Hebrews, uh, from the lesser to the greater. And he's saying to them, if they didn't escape after God's warning, much less will we escape if we reject him who speaks from heaven. He says, as people who profess faith in Jesus, who say but you profess faith in Jesus, but you reject Him, you refuse Him, what is that an indication of? It's an indication that you never truly had faith in the first place. And so if, if that would happen to them, how much greater, He says, for us that we would consider Jesus and yet forsake Him, forsake the church and return to the Old Covenant as we've seen, Mount Sinai, the Old Testament law, these, uh, these, these uh, Old Testament rituals, the, the sacrificial system, all of this was the pur for the purpose of pointing to Jesus. And to have received those things, heard those things, and uh, recognize they turned, they point to Jesus, but then to turn from them and to turn, uh, turn from Him and turn back is a very dangerous thing. You may ask, well, why is the judgment even greater? Again, because of the whole message of Hebrews, Jesus is greater. Jesus was the ultimate. He was the purpose. He was the reason that this was these, all of these various symbols were given. They were pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, as we saw there in Hebrews 1, He's God's final word. He's the word. And, and, and He's the fulfillment of all of these things. To, so to reject Him, to refuse His word again, is to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's an eternally dangerous thing to do. I remind you of a, a passage in the New Testament where Jesus led Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain, Scripture says, in several of the Gospels. And there He gave them a glimpse of eternity. He gave them a glimpse of the future by being transformed. We use the word transfigured. He was transformed uh, into, for that moment at least, to, to back to study what He would be and what they would be one day. And uh, they recognized His glory in a way they had not before. And appearing with Him also, of course, was Moses, who represented the law, and Elijah, who represented the prophets. And the Bible says there, wow, Peter was thrilled. I mean, uh, the indication of the Scripture is, is some humor there that Peter didn't know what to say, but he had to say something, right? That's typical preacher, I think. We feel like we've always got to say something, even if it's wrong. And so Peter just said, Lord, wow, this is wonderful. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then we go on to read. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them. I love this phrase, but Jesus only. Jesus only. What was God saying to those guys? 
He was saying to them, listen, yes, the law is wonderful. Oh, yes, praise God for the law, the Word of God. And it's, it's, it's just as inspired as any other part of the Word of God. And yes, the prophets are wonderful. What do they do? They both point to Jesus. But it was all fulfilled in Jesus. So he says, listen to Jesus. And I believe this is also what the writer of Hebrews is warning these people who again are thinking of turning back to Moses, back to Elijah, away from Jesus. No, listen to Jesus. Do you hear it today? That's why again in Hebrews 3 he says, if you hear the voice, if you hear his voice today, do not Harden your heart. Do not say no to God. I overheard Hunter talking to someone yesterday about, about getting calluses on your hands from, from working, right? As we were doing some real work yesterday, right? And that's what happens. You know, we get calluses. Well, dear friend, the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't get calluses on your soul. Don't turn your back on God. Don't say no to Him. This is the warning of God. And I want to say that today. I want to plead with you today. As I believe the writer of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit inspiring him. Do not turn your back. Do not refuse him. And again, in verse 29, another important theme in this passage, that last word, for our God is a consuming fire. Yes, we'll see in a moment. That's the, the wonderful Mount Zion that we're, as believers, are looking uh, for to be in His presence forever. But, but He's a consuming fire. He's a holy God. And that's what this passage is once again reminding us concerning today. So first, the first thing we recognize in this, in this passage, in this, this response, is again that we are to listen to God's warning and do not refuse Him. But secondly, the second response is believe God's promise and live as citizens of His unshakable kingdom. Believe His promise and live as citizens of His unshakable kingdom. Again, the writer here beginning in verse 26 again references the giving of the law uh, to, uh, to Moses uh, on Mount Sinai. And again, he says that at this time, at that time rather, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. Again, he's references that re referencing this time that's recorded in Exodus 19.18. Again, where, where we read that the mountain was wrapped in smoke, the Lord descended, in, 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 descended on it in fire, the whole mountain trembled greatly. And verse 19 says, God answered Moses in thunder. You can understand why the people were frightened as the, all these things were happening. They thought, yeah, we're about to die. Because they understood something about the holiness of God and the unholiness of their own lives. And they knew they were not where they should be. I mean, they knew they didn't deserve to be there. And again, you see those kind of things happening throughout history, the biblical history, when even in the New Testament, when Peter recognized the, the glory of God, the presence of God, and they trembled in his, in his presence. But what is he saying to us here? He said we should believe this promise of God. The Hebrew writer says, now he has promised. And then he quotes Hebrews, a uh, writer Haggai 2.6, the prophet Haggai. He says, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And most scholars believe that this, is, this event is the day of the Lord. That, and we find numerous passages concerning that in the New Testament as well. 2 Peter 3.10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, 
and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is the day he's describing here as we're hearing about this great shaking uh, that will occur. Well, you might say that, excuse me, but how is it that the destruction of the heavens and the earth, how is that a promise? Isn't that a threat? Oh, I mean, are we supposed to feel good about this? Well, yes, as believers, we are. It's a promise to us. And you might say, well, how is that a promise? Well, again, uh, we know that it is the fulfillment of God's promise of redemption. Because the Bible teaches us that all of creation was, in a real sense, ruined by humanity's fall into sin. Now, some of you have had the opportunity to see much of the earth. I'm grateful uh, for much of the beauty of the earth that I've had the privilege of seeing. And I know some of you have been all over, even our own country and other countries. And it is a beautiful earth. Can you imagine the fact that it was beyond our imagination beautiful before the fall? That the whole, the Bible says in Romans 8, uh, the, the Bible tells us that, that 8.22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The whole creation is awaiting the redemption. You see, there, the, the whole creation is awaiting for that time when we're going to experience the fullness of our redemption. Again, when the Lord Jesus comes and we as God's people are going to go to be with Him forever. We're going to receive a new glorified body. And we're going to be away from the presence of sin for all eternity. And the whole earth is looking forward to that. And it's going to happen when again there is a, uh, God shakes the earth. And, and that, the, the, that, that which has been cursed by sin is going to fall away and God's going to create it all over Again, yes, that means the, the galaxies, the stars, everything. That's what 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 is describing. He's going to make it all over again. And we'll see more of it in a moment. But in verse 28, again, he says that, that uh, we're to be grateful that, that we're, uh, we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Again, in the latter part of verse 27, he says, Yet once, this once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So, God has given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It will not be destroyed. Jesus said in, in Luke 12, 32, He said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So God is promising there's going to be uh, something to look forward to. A new heaven and a new earth. In, in Revelation 21, 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So he's telling us here as believers that we should believe his promise. And therefore, we should live as citizens of an unshakable, of His unshakable kingdom. How do we do that? Well, I want to mention just two things very quickly. I'm sure there are other things we can say. But one way we do that, knowing that everything that is not eternal is going to pass away, all right? Everything that is not eternal is going to pass away. So what do we do in the light of that? Well, first of all, don't waste your life on temporary things. You see, that, that which is unshakable is eternal. That which is shakable is describing that which will be destroyed. So we as God's people, since we're a part of an eternal kingdom that will not pass away, that, will, uh, that cannot be shaken, then we should not waste our life on temporary things. 
don't give your uh, life to all the things that are going to burn up. Listen to this passage. First John 2, 15, the writer John said in First John 2, 15 through 17, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, brothers and sisters, he's reminding us today, don't waste your life in things. Don't waste your life on things. Things that will not last. But then in a positive way, what do we do then? Well, then invest your life in that which lasts forever. If all these things are... Uh, are going to pass away, then what should we be investing on? It's that which is going to last forever. That which will not be shaken. That which will last forever. What is, what's going to last forever? You know, I've typically said a couple of things, but I'm trying to think through that a little bit more. Obviously, God's going to last forever, right? So, again, God is eternal. So invest your life in Him. Of course, then, the, the Word of God is going to last forever. Uh, so give yourself to the study of the Word of God. Uh, Give yourself to the proclamation of the eternal Word of God. Another thing the Bible says very clearly, people are going to last forever. We know everyone in this room today is going to last forever. You're either going to live forever in heaven or you're going to live forever in heaven. People are going to last forever. So give your life to sharing the gospel with lost people uh, so they can hear the gospel. They have to hear the gospel and repent and believe in order to be saved. Uh, and again, this is, this is God's plan to turn lost people from darkness to light. Uh, save people. We want to invest in. We want them to grow. We want them to build up one another so we can be the most effective uh, servants of His. We can be brothers and sisters in Christ. And by the way, we're going to spend eternity in heaven together. So this, that, as someone put it, this, this life before uh, we go to be with the Lord is on the job training for reigning. So we're, we're here together. So we're going to spend eternity together. So invest your, your life in what's going to last forever people. Both those who need the gospel and those who uh, have not yet, uh, those who have, haven't responded to the gospel and those who have. The kingdom of God is going to last forever. That's what he's talking about here with this unshakable kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. Jesus went about preaching the kingdom of God. You say, well, what is the kingdom? The kingdom of God is God's rule. And Jesus is the key, and the kingdom of God is His kingdom. We're subject to His kingdom. Uh, the, the Bible also says we, we're going to reign with Him. Uh, we're sharing joint heirs with Jesus. We're co-regents with Him in a sense. But the Lord Jesus is going to reign forever. Now the church, of course, is not the kingdom of God. But uh, someone said the kingdom of God operates in the church. It is the outpost, if you will, of the kingdom of God. So give yourself to the kingdom of God. And to his reign and, and to, uh, to sharing his lordship, uh, to living under his lordship and sharing his kingdom with others through the gospel. Again, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So again, 
Invest your life in that which lasts forever. Let me ask a question for you to think about this morning. When God shakes the earth and the heavens and the earth and the heavens and only the eternal remains, what will you have left? I've told you about the things that do last forever, but think about some of the things that don't last forever. Well, the internet's not going to last forever. Facebook, not going to last forever. TV, movies, games, sports teams, hobbies, houses, yards. I may get in trouble here. Animals. Not going to last forever. You say, well, Pastor, is there anything wrong with those things? Might have been in there, our jobs. Are there anything wrong with that? No. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Um, unless they're your idols. But again, what are you giving yourself to? What are you investing in your life in? You see, one good thing about those things, they can be the, the means by which you serve Christ. And I'm not I'm certainly not saying that, that people need to go out and quit their jobs, alright? You say we gotta make a living. Absolutely, that's God's plan. Plan of economy, plan for you to provide. Not saying for you to do that. Isn't it wonderful? That the Bible says we can do all that we do to the glory of God. And that we can serve God through these means. They can be avenues through which we make Christ known. And they can be opportunities for us to serve Him. And yes, even through our hobbies. And, and yeah, I think we ought to keep our yards up and be a good testimony to our neighbors. And uh, we can be a way of enjoying God's creation, certainly. But what are you giving your life? Are you investing your life in that which is going to last forever? Or that which is going to be gone in a split second? You see, God, God spoke this world into existence. He stretched it out in six days. And He can just as quickly, and He's going to, the Bible says, destroy it all and make it all over. He's going to, because again, He's going to do that as a fulfillment of the, the final aspect of, of our redemption. So again, what are you giving your life to? Pastor R.C. Sproul said, right now counts forever. Right now counts forever. What are you doing right now that's going to make a difference in eternity? Believe God's promise and live as citizens of His unshakable kingdom. But thirdly and finally, acknowledge God's holy attributes and offer Him acceptable worship. This is how we should respond to that. Uh, again, as citizens of His kingdom, acknowledge His holy attributes and offer Him acceptable worship. Worship Again, in verse, verse 28, as we made reference to already, he tells us uh, in, uh, in this passage in verse 28, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom. Now, you may have the King James or New King James, and it translates that, Let us have grace. And ESV and others favor, Let us be grateful. Expositor's commentary says that the phrase is generally rendered, rendered be grateful. And the verb tense indicates, let us continuously be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Again, one of the things that ought to characterize a citizen of God's unshakable kingdom is a spirit of gratefulness. A continual spirit of gratefulness. Do you, do you demonstrate that? I mean, you know, if, if you're around someone very long and you know they're grateful, if they can just begin to tell you the good things that God is doing. Not always negative or complaining or always looking at the bad, but having a spirit of gratitude 
And, and again, the Bible says the thing we really ought to be grateful for that we have received a kingdom or receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Again, we've received it at the moment we're saved. We receive that kingdom. We become subjects in His kingdom. We're continuously doing so as we grow in, in the likeness of Christ. And one day, in a completed sense, we'll fully receive the kingdom. We're going to be in His presence, away from sin, and, and in, with Him uh, in a world that will last forever. So we're permanent citizens of an unshakable kingdom. Does that bring you joy? Does that cause you to want to worship God with thanksgiving? It ought to, brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says again, not only that, but we, we, uh, he says we're to, uh, acceptable, to offer God acceptable worship. Again, this too is rendered in King James and New King James as service. Well, what's going on here in the new translation? Well, again, this word uh, literally uh, spoke of the service of the Levitical priests. So you get the idea they were worshiping, but they were also serving. And oftentimes, these two run together, our service and our worship. That also uh, reminds us that everything we do should be an act of worship or service, and even our service should be done as an act of worship unto the Lord. What does he mean when he says it's to be acceptable worship? Worship that God uh, will accept. Well, he tells us. It's to be done with reverence and awe. Weist uh, says that the word reverence has the idea of caution. He renders it pious care. The word awe, also translated godly fear, we says means wholesome regard for a holy God. So that should characterize our worship. Not only when we come together, certainly as we come together, but every day. Because again, worship is not just confined to Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, or whatever. It's, we're, we're to be living a lot, as, as we're told there in, 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 uh, in Romans 12, 1, we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship or spiritual worship. And so we are to uh, live lives that are uh, a spirit of worship, and we're to do so, he says, uh, in reverence and awe. And verse 29 explains why. For our God is a consuming fire. This is quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, when Moses was warning the people about the danger of idolatry. And he said, and here's why you should be aware and you should avoid that, because God, our God, is a consuming fire. Well, he's just contrasted, again, the, the unapproachable mountain of Sinai. So we might think about the, the mountain of Sinai being that consuming fire. That's where, again, there was great danger that they get near the mountain. It was dangerous. But now you talk about Mount Zion. And it's just the opposite. It's an approachable mountain. That through Jesus, we can now come near to God. That's what God wanted. That's what God has wanted. God wasn't trying to say, I don't want you. God was saying that now through Jesus, you can come near. You see, because of our sinful state apart from Christ, we can't come near to God. Again, God's a holy God. God's a God of love. But He's a holy God. But that's the good news about what he has done. But then you, you think about the approach, the, the, the approachable mountain of Zion. And again, while we may now draw near to God through Jesus, I want to remind you of something. Please get this. The God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. All right? I think some people think, oh, that God in the Old Testament, he's kind of harsh. He's kind of mean. I mean, you know, my goodness. Uh, people died when they 
and they just touched the Ark of the Covenant and it, they fell over dead. You know, these guys uh, offered strange fire and they, you know, they were killed. Wow, that's, that's harsh. Folks, I want to remind you that when you read the Old Testament, one of the things we see in those, you know, those incidents throughout the Old Testament is we see the sinfulness of man and we see the holiness of God. The holiness of God. He's the same holy God. And Jesus is fully God. He's a, he's a, he's a consuming fire. Then you say, but how can we come near Him? If He's a consuming fire and He's so holy, then how can we come? And that's the good news of the Gospel. We can come near to God because Jesus came near to us. Though fully God, absolutely just as fully God as that God who appeared there on Mount Sinai. He is God. He also became fully human. He had no sin. He had no sin nature as we do. So he lived a perfect and sinless life. And he was therefore able to go to that cross. And on that cross, the Bible says that he became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. He died taking our sin upon himself. And upon him, all of God's holy anger, God's consuming wrath, his fire, if you will, was poured out upon Jesus on the cross. He rose the third day. Hallelujah. And now when we recognize our sinfulness, our separation from him, and we repent or turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus and Jesus enters our life to save us, we then receive His righteousness. His, His righteousness, as the theologians say, is, is imputed to us. And as believers in Christ now, the reason we can draw near is we don't come in our own merits. We can't. We come through Christ. We enter in through Him. That's why in heaven... We can worship around the throne of God. That's why we can be in the very presence of God for all eternity. It would be impossible apart from Jesus. Apart from the righteousness of Christ. Now we can draw near to Jesus' perfect righteousness. But he tells us that we must receive Him and receive His kingdom. How do we do that? Luke 18, 17, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. What is it like to, to receive His kingdom like a child? Receive His Lordship like a child. It means to come to Him in humility and brokenness over our sin, repenting from our sin, and putting our absolute total trust in Jesus. Not in anything else. Not in His church. Not in any church. Not in baptism, uh, not in our family, our heritage, any of those things. But in Jesus, His finished work, in Jesus and Him alone. Has that happened in your life? Has there been that moment in your life when you recognize that need in your life and you turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus? So again, in this final warning of Hebrews, He's once again saying, don't turn back. Those of you who profess faith in Christ, don't drift. Don't abandon Christ and His church. Keep on running the race. Or in the words of the song we sing, keep on marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Jim Elliott and his four uh, friends 
missionaries were seeking to invest their lives uh, in the eternal souls of people there in Ecuador by trying to build a trust with them with those Alta Indians in order to share the gospel with them. They've been building up to this moment and the day came when they, uh, they landed their plane on the beach hoping to, to continue those relationships that they've done with a few in order to share the gospel with them. But that day, their lives ended at the end of a spear. They were put to death. They were killed. Someone said, what a waste. What a waste of a young life. Family men, fathers of their children. What a terrible, terrible waste. But not to these men. Seven years earlier, Jim Elliott had penned those now famous words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And eventually that tribe of Alka Indians, uh, aided by the wives of, of uh, the, these missionaries who died, heard the gospel and responded even today the gospel ministry of the church continues there. You see, these missionaries invested their lives into that which was going to last forever. It was not a waste. In fact, the real fool is the one who says there is no God. Or worse, he rejects the God who speaks to him. Dear friend, do not reject him. Do not refuse his voice. Do not harden This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used His Word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, His death for you on the cross, and His resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website, at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.